Every marriage goes through tough times and crisis, but imagine being diagnosed with a life-threatening illness not once or even twice, but three separate times. In this Remix episode, our guests Glenn and Debbie Kirkpatrick share their story of overcoming cancer together, keeping the romance alive, and growing stronger as a team. Here we go. Danielle Williams here with my ever charming husband and co-host Justin Williams. What? You wrote this. (laughs) Today's episode is a remix from 2018 with the truly legendary couple Glenn and Debbie Kirkpatrick. They are authors of a book called Overcome, a story of intervention, rescue, and redemption. You can find Glenn and Debbie's book on Amazon, and we'll have a link to it in the show notes as well. Okay, so this is one of our all-time favorite interviews because Glenn and Debbie, first of all, they're very different from us. They're very incredibly sweet and kind, but yet full of grit at the same time, which I can really appreciate. And we are more grit... Than sweet. Than sweet, I think, <laughs> yes. I don't imagine any of us really understand or expects the in sickness or in health part of those vows on wedding days to really be the defining narrative in a marriage. Especially, or you hope not. <laughs> yeah, especially not at the beginning. At least not until we're old and gray and walking around, shuffling around with a walker with a pocket full of Werther's Originals hard candies. Hey, I like those hard candies. Yeah, I know you do. Okay, Glenn and Debbie are no different. Their story is so inspiring. We just hear it to share it again with some fresh eyes. You mean ears. This is a podcast, after all. Okay, right, whatever. All right, anyway, before we get to Glenn and Debbie... Be the first to know when we release new episodes and get weekly insights, ideas, and opportunities to help you build a legendary marriage every day. Join our newsletter at legendarymarriage.com slash news. Okay, and if you love the show and you would like to support the Legendary Marriage Podcast, please consider joining our Patreon community over at legendarymarriage.com slash Patreon. You can become a patron and part of our mission to inspire and challenge couples to build legendary marriages by signing up for the $5, $10, or $20 level and get some great perks like shout-outs on the show and access to our resource library, invitations to live events, and some sweet swag. That's legendarymarriage.com slash Patreon. Glenn and Debbie's story is like one of those from a great movie. They live in a beautiful town, San Diego, California, right on the beach. They take walks on the daily, romantic walks on the beach. They've been married 37 years, have three kids and two grandkids. It's a beautiful story. And like any great love story, it began with an innocent cup of coffee. I was a waitress at a 24-hour restaurant in Manhattan Beach, California. And I worked the night shift. And Glenn was a rookie police officer that came in on his breaks. So when he came into the the restaurant, I uh, was trying to fix him up with a girlfriend of mine. And she would come (laughs) in the restaurant and... uh, want to talk to him and he clearly was not interested in her glenn were you just coming for the free coffee like what was this what was this all about here the only restaurant open all night oh okay then i was coming to see debbie 
He was much too proper to uh, invite me on a date while he was in uniform. And I worked another job during the day at a pet store in a, in a mall uh, in Torrance, California. And he came in to buy a collar for his dog. I don't think his dog really needed a collar. He just came in. But I did have a dog. <laughs> he did have a dog. And uh, then asked me out on our first date. And then I was like, well, okay, let's go on a date. Let's see how this goes. And Were you uh, at all worried about dating a cop? Uh, a little bit. <laughs> I was a little apprehensive about that, although he was very handsome and he looked very good in his uniform, that's for sure. We went to a Chinese food restaurant in um, Gardena, California, and I had never been to such a restaurant where they have, you know, these personal booths. And so I think he was really trying to woo me and we drank the, this huge scorpion drink out of a shell with two straws. So it was quite romantic. There were no, there were no scorpions in it. They called it the scorpion. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're freaking me out, you guys. Seriously, <laughs> like I live in Texas. So scorpion is a real uh, part of my life here. Yeah. I don't know. In California, are scorpions real in your world? Oh, yeah. Yes, actually, yes. I've actually I've actually been bitten by a scorpion before when I put on a pair of jeans. I'm not going to go into too many details, but it was horrifying. It was horrifying. Sorry. Yeah. That was quite a romantic date. Oh, yes. Yes. The romantic scorpion drink. Okay, let's get back to that. Yes. And um, four days after that first date, (laughs) Glenn asked me to marry him. What? (laughs) Four days. Glenn, what was going on? That scorpion drink go to your head or what? Well, I wanted to be sure. <laughs> you wanted to lock it down, lock it down, right? So, um, so he's a cop. He doesn't mess around. No, nope. got right to it. I did ask, and Debbie said yes. And what we like to say now, I know. Go ahead as you get your head around it. Is today we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know what would come. That's obvious. We don't That's teach obvious. our four days. Yeah. You know, all the things. We don't teach our kids that. We Young dating couples that we know, we don't say, hey, take your time, you know, it's for life. But it's fun that that's our story. What did you recognize about each other that this was really the one after four days? Well, he treated me like nobody else has ever treated me, uh, like a queen. And he still does to this day. Um he was very respectful, extremely kind and loving. And I was like, this is the one. I mean, sometimes you just know, right? But I had to think, you know, think back and go, fun, loving, kind, beautiful. She was conversive, not all about herself, like at the restaurant, because she was working. Our dates were fun. And I noticed a friendship was being built from the first time we were together and then after our first date we were together every day grew to love debbie and thought boy let's spend every day together glenn and debbie's early days of marriage were much like ours and yours full of romance and adventure and busy making a home and talking about the hopes and dreams of a life and family but all too soon glenn started noticing he wasn't feeling like himself I don't think I thought about too much in the future. We enjoyed being together, married. Our family supported us. 
with love, I mean, not financially. <laughs> we lived at a duplex by the beach, both had our careers. So I think day to day, we began to, we're able to afford a home mortgage. Yeah, then we we're thinking home, our first child, and then that, that began to unfold. We married six years when I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, now known as Hodgkin's lymphoma, a cancer in the lymphatic system. So flat out shocked, bewildered, you know, the feeling that one can have is things are fine and then wham, overwhelmed. And then there's the maybe not, maybe not always thinking, but you're definitely feeling of having to navigate through testing, surgery, and radiation treatments. But mainly at first, shocked, bewildered, uncertain. And the thoughts that I, I was going to die, I might die. Debbie would not have her husband anymore. And our son, Russell, was two. Mm-hmm. He grew up without his father. So it was this whole mix of you know survival mode. And, yeah, and for me, of course, well, all those same feelings. Um, overwhelmed, afraid, uh, what's tomorrow going to bring? Will he survive even the diagnostic surgeries? I mean, it was pretty overwhelming when you go to to have some tests done because you think something's not that big of a deal, a little fatigue, maybe a little lumpier. But um, then you find out that he has cancer from his neck all the way into his abdomen. I mean, he was only 30 years old. He was a young man. When your life is threatened, you have a greater appreciation for what you have in one another. At that time, we were not yet Christians, so we had no faith. Um, we went to support groups for cancer patients, and that was an eye-opening experience, seeing people going, not just us, but other people going through chemotherapy and radiation and trying to make sense of it all without faith was very trying time for us, but it did draw us closer to one another. How did your roles shift? I was working around initial appointments and doctor appointments and diagnostic testing. Um, and I had the, the paid time off. So at, at first, I don't, I don't recall that it was a problem in a practical or financial way. But well, I guess the way I describe it is it's, it's always at the front of your mind, always. You wake up, cancer treatments, uncertainty, just all day, go to bed with the feelings. So that definitely creeped in. And But sure, then it, it got to be where I needed uh, quite a few weeks, months off. I had a, uh, a major surgery in the hospital, and then there was recovering from that. I was off work every day, all day for months. So that was a shift. And the whole time, I didn't assume that I would gain remission and go back to work. It was like I knew that day. So example, recovering from the surgery, I'm at home. And like anyone that recovers from particular surgeries, you might have to kind of learn to walk again. So did I. And so I was sick with cancer and had a surgery I had to recover from. The diagnostic procedure, the um, surgery was to stage the cancer. Turned out to be 3A. 3A, pretty, a pretty severe diagnosis. To us, it was. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. yeah a, lot of, a lot of the body, yeah, a lot of your immune system was involved. So I think the shift was I was fighting for my life that I never had to before. And yet it's 
it's a slow rollout of each day when you get out of bed. You know, there's no hero's journey to the top of the hill. It's you're healing. It's going to take months. And then we're going to radiate you 50 times. That brought remission. God used it. I wasn't looking forward to that. I had a laparotomy where you cut open from uh, pretty high up in the chest all the way down to your belly button. And with anybody, you'd have to, oh, yeah, my legs were fine, but I meant you're, you know, you're hurting and in pain and doubled over. Debbie, what was your role in that? Were you, did you take on the caregiver role? Yes. Um, I still continued to work my regular job in a veterinary hospital, as well as take care of our two-year-old son, as well as help Glenn, you know, day-to-day um, being in bed, you know, preparing meals for him and getting, you know, things together for him for a while I was at work taking Russell to daycare and doing those type of things while he was recovering. But I had to work. I felt like we needed the money and that I couldn't take months off to be home with him. So that was a difficult time. Despite Glenn's health challenges and the long process of recovery from surgery and the horrible side effects from radiation, he and Debbie managed to keep the romance alive. He would leave me little notes on the mirror and my lipstick sometimes <laughs> you're like not my favorite lipstick okay <laughs> right you can use the old ones uh he would write me notes during that time yeah all the time okay. he would leave me little notes on napkins and put them on the table or he's always been like that very thoughtful and still quite romantic and then you know my romance for him was serving him taking care of him making sure his needs were met and then when debbie says all these Nice, beautiful things. I was like, I don't remember that during that time. (laughs) So um, you're like, I just remember trying to survive. That's what I remember. Yeah. Later in the journey, definitely looking to protect care. November of the same year in 87, following the radiation, I gained remission. We celebrated that, rock concerts, and seven or more days. Seven days. In Cancun, Mexico. And uh, you got to celebrate the wins when you can. Absolutely. Yeah. And then um, returned home to reality. <laughs> so um, everything was different. Everything changed. I was very restless. You know, our lives had been threatened, our way of life, our marriage. We had conversations. I was so restless that I wanted to move, keep our jobs, keep our careers, but move maybe to the next county, uh, meaning maybe where we could get more land. I seemed to need space and everything different, but keep our jobs. What shifted in you that you needed more space? Oh, good point. So I just, yeah, I explain it as space, like a bigger lot or acreage. Right. What I've come to learn what it was is everything reminded me of the cancer experience where we live. It's the same house where I recovered from the surgery, the same place where friends would come over and mow the lawn or deliver a ham. They had a particular look that they were scared, scared for me, or perhaps mortality. So everything was a reminder. I couldn't get away from it. So I thought, move away, a new place. But Deb agreed. Unfortunately, Glenn and Debbie's cancer story didn't end there. Once again, Glenn began developing some troubling symptoms. So he went to the doctor, hoping for the best. To fast forward, we actually moved to San Diego. We moved further than we'd imagined, but yet it's not that far. 
And while here, and I had transferred to a new police department and Debbie took a new job and she was pregnant with our second son, Trevor, that fatigue, that all too familiar fatigue came on. And that's the first thing I thought cancer had returned. So examination labs, testing, sure enough, the lymphoma was present. First, but very quickly it progressed. And that was when chemotherapy was prescribed, I thought I would die because in my mind, that chemo is given to folks who are going to die anyway, but just to let them live a little bit longer. So with that mindset, where was I headed? To death by the cancer. So I would come to learn that that's what's set up in my mind. And then what am I having? I'm driving to go have that toxic mix, mixture of chemo. What would that lead to? See, that was my mind. So it wasn't, it wasn't good. And I grew very depressed and had cancer and was having chemo. It was devastating. Um, I had a six-week-old baby. Oh, my gosh. And my husband was diagnosed with cancer for the second time. And he thought he was going to die, and I thought he was going to die. So I had a four-year-old and a six-week-old baby, and I'm like, how am, I, how am I going to make it through this? I don't think I can. It's easy to feel alone in the middle of a crisis like cancer. But a big part of what got Glenn and Debbie through the battle was, and still is, their community. We had friends that moved from L.A., Jay and Becky Martin, that um, were the, our only friends in San Diego. They had followed us down nine months after we um, moved down here. So they were our only friends. But God would use this in a powerful way um, because I was so overwhelmed. I had a friend at work that was a Christian, and she started reaching out to me and serving me, um, watching my children, bringing us meals, just super encouraging woman and uh, really made a difference in my life. I, w- I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to read the Bible, but I saw her life and the way she loved me and it changed me. And got me interested in studying the Bible and uh, making the decision to make Jesus the Lord of my life. But that was through a lot of this time where Glenn was very sick. And then he was so depressed that he had to be hospitalized. It was a very dark time. It was progressive. I grew more and more depressed. I've never been depressed in my life. I don't think I spent too much time thinking, gee, what's happening? It, It was happening. Uh, yes, thoughts to action to um, uh, seeing clinicians, different medications for depressant. We would learn, you know, Debbie's practically carrying my life, I guess I'd put it. I went with her, you know, I sat with the doctor, I, I listened, but I wasn't completely there. So I met Debbie, carried my life in a beautiful way. And after many opinions, prayer, electroconvulsive therapy was recommended. And the way I like to put it, and it's in the, wrote it in the book, is I had an awakening. I woke up. I began to be myself. I'm leading games with these other patients of calling friends. I got to be where I'm ready to get out of here and restart my life. So um, it worked. Oh, it's like they shocked you back into life somehow. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it worked. Crazy. And I was released. And I still needed time. You know, a lot of respite. But we had remission from the cancer, right? And then... Well, the depression lifted. For those couples that are listening here, obviously everybody has 
a friend that needs some TLC, needs some loving care, is in a dire situation, what sort of things would you both say to them to do and to please avoid doing or saying? So today, I'll speak from our whole experience, right? Of 30 years. And then also today, as I live with late effects, chronic illness, progressive disease caused by the the radiation, the chemo. Because it's what I've seen work and not work, is engage. Have someone, if you're afraid to say something, you know, unless somebody already told you that's not best, just say it, just do it. Like, just just bring the ham over. Just leave the stuff on the porch if nobody answers. Um, Just text, just call. And don't expect yourself, you know, talking to someone else um, to know what to say. Yeah. In fact, you might say the wrong thing or you might say something and then be insecure that, oh, my gosh, did I say the wrong thing? But (laughs) my experience is the people that have stood out have been the ones that have not asked. They've served, they've called, they've texted. I do appreciate when somebody says, how are you doing this morning, Glenn? Because the majority of folks won't ask. I don't know why, but out of fear, concern for their own mortality, um, they're learning to be mature and out of focus. But I worked light duty for a while in the police department while I had cancer. Um, people wouldn't approach or ask, or when they look at me, I, I think this is in my head, but it's like they were looking through me. They were afraid. They were scared it could happen to them. And was I going to die? They didn't know the latest. So. I am not faulting them. That's just my experience. Yeah. Today, um, well, I take responsibility with, you know, I need to share and tell a close friend how I'm doing, feeling, thinking, because no one's a mind reader. But based on your question, I do want to say that the person that stands out is the one that initiates and knows that they're not expected to know the right thing to say or do. Be a listening ear when... The other person's ready to talk. They, I, I felt like during that time I needed people to listen of the things I was going through. Not necessarily that they would have the answers. Sure. Just, just a hug, a smile, an encouraging scripture. That helped a lot with just handwritten cards. I know it's not the thing these days. Even a text with, <laughs> with uh, encouraging scripture would really help. But I think some of the people that really stood out were the people that did things without us asking them to. Mm. You know, they just saw a need and they met it. Like They're like, no matter what, this is what I'm doing. You can deal with it. I'm mowing your lawn. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The, we had a, one of the captains at the police department in Manhattan Beach. A captain would come to our house and mow our lawn. Mm. And one time he got there and he had to lift the lawnmower over the fence because the, the gate was locked and he was just persistent to get it, get it done. And just things like that, that were just so impactful at the time. So at this point, Glenn and Debbie have gone through the cancer journey twice and Glenn has survived and they have started to build a family and there's a whole life in a future ahead of them. But then the uninvited guest shows up again. We'll get back to the conversation with Glenn and Debbie in just a moment. But first, two opportunities we want to mention. As you're hearing from Glenn and Debbie, going through a crisis is hard enough. Don't do it alone. 
Whether you're in the middle of a health crisis or a challenging issue in your relationship, or maybe you just want to be an encourager, come join the Legendary Marriage Support Group on Facebook. This is a community where you can bring your questions, offer your experiences, and be supportive, encouraging as a voice in the lives of other couples. You can search for us on Facebook or go right to legendarymarriage.com slash community. Have you been to the all-new Legendary Marriage store yet? Head on over to legendarymarriage.com slash shop. We've got some awesome affordable products, including super comfy t-shirts. Ooh, my favorite. Ultra cozy hoodies and coffee mugs that can hold dangerous amounts of your favorite caffeinated beverage. Oh, yeah. And right now, through December 17th, we have our 2021 Christmas Special Edition products on sale. Spread some holiday cheer with one of our All I Want for Christmas is a Legendary Marriage t-shirt. Or grab a gift for your spouse or partner. You can find the shop at legendarymarriage.com slash shop. Anybody who's gone through a cancer diagnosis and treatment and come out the other side will tell you, they live in a tension between the joy of remission and the fear of recurrence. After riding that roller coaster twice, Glenn and Debbie were absolutely shell-shocked when they got the word that cancer was back for a third time. They faced it like they have twice before, together. About a year and a half later, guess what comes around? It's fatigue. I had returned to cycling, and I would cycle and enjoy cycling and by the hills and valleys and around where we lived. It took me more to do the same mileage, and I was more exhausted each time. Again, I knew. I believe I knew. I couldn't believe it could be cancer, but um, oncologists, labs, biopsy, testing, and they determined it was chronic lymphocyte leukemia. Mm. Um, Had never heard of it before. And so we sat on the couch, and we cried, and we prayed. And we, and we began to tell close friends. So it's kind of like similar news, but our whole outlook was different. Mm, because you were both believers at this point. And that's what the difference in the outlook was? Definitely a different perspective. And just uh, a growth in our relationship with God at that time. Just really trusting that God has got this. And then pursuing treatment because he, there was at that time in the early 90s, no treatment. It was more of a watch and wait cancer. Like, let's watch and wait and see what happens. So that wasn't good enough for us. So we prayed and uh, sought nutritional advice. And um, Glenn had uh, cancer treatment in Mexico all his adventures in Mexico. So, um, adventures in Mexico (laughs) with cancer treatment. It sounds like quite, (laughs) was there scorpion drinks with that too? There should have been. There should have been, yeah. So I had the, I had the treatment, very expensive, at least to our budget. We received a lot of donations. So five years later, I gained remission. We celebrated again. It wasn't as extravagant, but I think we went out to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't go to Mexico this time. <laughs> no, no, no. Just a steakhouse on the corner. Right. Exactly. 
overcoming cancer three times is worthy of celebration. And if that's where the story ended, it would be an inspiring account of tenacity, determination, and grit. If the story ended there, it would be worth celebrating, but it doesn't. Uh, Mike, an example is you might uh, come at me in a wonderful way about wanting to do this or this or travel here or there. And maybe I'm thinking of none of that. So I'm not, I'm not I'm up thinking, for that. But we sit down and say, well, tell me now I know to say, tell me more about that. You know, where would that be? When would we go? Gee, what would that cost? Are you talking about someone else going? And then, then we end up talking then and maybe additional other times until we know it's yes or no, got to save up or, you know, yes, we'll take the kids. I look to focus on the joy in each day, the beauty that's around and live in the moment because otherwise I get too far ahead and go, you know, this, this, this moment, I can do this moment or I'll get in trouble or anxious if I look too far ahead, think about my health. And some of the blessings um, that we've received um, with our cancer diagnosis is a closer and more intimate marriage where we can share the real things in our lives, like the real thoughts in our head, like our frustration with the illness. And Glenn can share, you know, it's frustrating to me that I can't go out at night anymore. Of course, it's frustrating to me, but we can talk through that. And that's the beautiful communication piece, but also like some of the things that you don't think are a blessing, like the five years that he had leukemia, he was home with our kids. Who, what dad gets to stay home with their young sons for five years? So now we can look back on that and go, that was a blessing. You got to be there. You got to watch them grow up. Definitely, yeah. And then we also adopted a child in 2001. So that was a blessing. Oh. <laughs> so that was a big shift in our life at that time as well. Um, Glenn was healthy at that time, never seen further down the road for his late effects from the cancer treatments and how he would be, you know, marginalized, as he says, in his health. Uh, we took on a seven-year-old young man and um, adopted him at seven years old. And he has taught us so much about unconditional love and because um, <laughs> he needed it, he needed it. it um, sounds like maybe there should there were a, a few other dicey moments in the beginning there oh yes definitely think blender <laughs> put your life in a blender and <laughs> oh my gosh but maybe it needed that yeah so. yeah yep. well, you, you speak about your kids like how did parenting change when you have these, you know, limitations or, you know, you have a cancer diagnosis and you have to do these treatments, like how did, and how did your kids react? Like, were they scared? Were they helpful? Like, yeah. how did that look like as a parent? Well, first I want to say it didn't change at all. What changed is, I believe, I, I would be encouraged by Debbie to make that football game go to that wrestling tournament. Where I could just hit the couch, be at home, so tired. I, you know, I went and I wanted to. I'm just saying that it took a lot to overcome to make that Saturday or that sporting event or that Friday night sure. game. And Debbie was always all in. So that rubbed off on me. That was great. 
I think that I didn't fully know or appreciate it when they were younger. I think I must have been trying to have some normalcy. Like when you ask the question, I'm thinking, you know what, painted the fence. <laughs> you know, I got them involved in doing the yard work. She went to the games and everything. Um, normalize it as much as we could. Um, do you know if they, did they ever come to you and say, is dad going to? No, they, I, I don't think they ever had a fear. I wonder how it had affected them because of his energy level. Like he wasn't the dad that got out there and threw the football with them or, you know, played baseball with them or ran around like that. Um, but they always looked up to him. And uh, to this day, uh, he is their hero. Mm, of course. Maybe, Danielle, that's the answer. So at the <laughs> moment, I didn't know and think. But today, we see we have a close relationship with them. And our two oldest, especially because biological, they've been with us longer, they articulate it. And the way I like to put it is, I try to turn around on them and say, I'm glad that's in you, son, that he feels loved and bonded with me and wants to be like me in some positive ways of integrity. Um, that's very satisfying. Glenn and Debbie's story and their book is how we can all face insurmountable obstacles, terrible circumstances, and overwhelming challenges. And yet, in the middle of it, we can love each other well and adapt and grow and create a marriage full of intimacy and connection. You can hear it in their voices throughout this interview, the tender, graceful, deep love that comes with time and trial faced together. Isn't that what we all want? To be growing closer to our partners, deeper in intimacy, and stronger as a team? Don't we all want to have a family that's healthy and connected and a circle of friends who we stand with through thick and thin. That sounds like a legendary marriage to me. How about you? If you enjoyed this interview, please go get a copy of Glenn and Debbie's book, Overcome, A Story of Intervention, Rescue, and Redemption, Our Cancer Survivorship Journey. You can get it on Amazon, and again, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And now, the Talk About It segment of the show. Each week, we give you a conversation starter and a challenge to go find some time to talk with your spouse and build more intimacy and connection by having a conversation that matters. Here's this week's conversation starter. If you look back at some of the most challenging times in your life together, what blessings can you find? Ooh, I love it. That can be <laughs> tough, and I love it. <laughs> True. If you love this episode, share it with a friend or subscribe, rate, and review us now on your favorite podcast app. You can do that at legendarymarriage.com slash listen. You can also join our newsletter and get weekly insights, ideas, and updates designed to help you build a legendary marriage every day. And you'll be the first to know when new episodes of the podcast are released. We'd love to hear from you, what you think about this episode. You can find us and follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Legendary Marriages. Drop us a message anytime. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. Until next time, this is Danielle and Justin reminding you, don't settle for an ordinary marriage. Make yours legendary. Thanks again to our guests, Glenn and Debbie Kirkpatrick. This episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast was produced by Pod Fabulous Productions, a division of Wild River Dog Development Group. 
Find out more about Podfabulous at podfabulous.com. Today's host, Danielle Williams. Producer, Justin Williams. The code word for this episode is Rudolph.